I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant U, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing. We're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. I get to like think about at a very deep level what's important to me in the world. Mm. And I get to be connected with nature. You know, so that's a powerful thing. Uh, it, it's, a, it's something I can't really, it's like a deeper level of, of, of meditation that I cannot achieve just in my daily life. Like I'm going to go about my day today. I will get nowhere close to where I get when I'm running in a, in some ultra where I'm pushing myself like bad water. And, and I have the, 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 um, this force against me, but it, while I'm having that force against me, it opens up like streams of cognition that I don't normally have on a day-to-day basis. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plant Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Hello, Leafy Green listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Plant Strong Podcast. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and I've got a real doozy of a conversation for you today. This is with the hottest ultra-distance runner on the planet, He was unstoppable in 2021. He is 100% strong. He hails from Cincinnati, Ohio, where he is a school teacher. He is humble. He is fast. And he is amazing. I think an appropriate way to summarize Harvey is a real life story that just happened a few weeks ago. 
Harvey was he was set to run the long haul 100 mile race that takes place in Florida. It was January 15th of 2022. The only hiccup is that he was stuck in Cincinnati the night before. Every flight was canceled and he had absolutely no way of getting there by plane. His only option was to hop into his car and attempt to drive all during the night in hopes of making it to the starting line before the gun went off at 8 a.m. And guess what? That's exactly what he did. He made it to the starting line with about 40 minutes to spare, took a short nap, lined up, and then proceeded to win the entire race in just over 16 hours. That, my green leafy friends, is Harvey Lewis in a nutshell. He's an absolute legend of an ultra-distance runner, a gem of a human, and an inspiration for any of us who are seeking to find joy and passion while in the midst of a lot of pain and suffering. Speaking of suffering, Harvey knows how to suffer, especially on the race course. And just last year in 2021, he won the famous Badwater 135 Ultra. This is a 135-mile race from Death Valley to Mount Whitney. It goes over three different mountain passes. And then just a few weeks later, he outlasted every competitor at Big Dog's Backyard Ultra last person standing race where he ran 354.16 miles and it took him almost four days, all fueled on a plant-strong diet. In March of this year, he is ready to tackle the hardest ultra on the planet. It's the Barkley Marathon, where, believe it or not, there's only been 15 total finishers in its entire existence. I think that if anybody can finish, I would bet that Harvey has a pretty good chance, and I'll be rooting for you every single step of the way. Speaking of, I want to invite you to lace up your own shoes Head out the door, put on those AirPods, and enjoy this super conversation with the incredibly humble and amazing Harvey Lewis. Now, before you go, I'd like to quickly share that we are offering a free two-week membership into our most powerful tool, the Plan Strong Meal Planner, to really help everyone stick to those New Year's resolutions. The Meal Planner has all our community favorite recipes, an adaptive and mobile grocery list, and support from experts seven days a week. Simply visit mealplanner.planstrong.com and use the code PS2022 to redeem a free two-week membership. Now, take it away, Harvey. I, I am... I. Cannot wait to dive into this conversation with you and really talk about two of your big passions and loves that are so, to me, inextricably uh, intertwined. And that is basically your love of running and, and your love of plant-based nutrition slash food. And so I'd love to just out of the gates ask you, like, how did you get into plant-based nutrition 
And obviously that probably came after you started, you became a runner. Right. What was your, what was your impetus for, you know, fueling yourself with plants? Well, I had uh, quite a few things that, that hit me with, with this. And I guess the going back on the journey, it really started back in high school because in my health class, we watched this video that involved like the slaughtering of animals. Yeah. And I'm really not sure why they showed the video at the time, but it, it definitely impacted me. And I was just like, just really, uh, it just, I guess, disturbed by, by the images I saw. And so I decided I wanted to be vegetarian, but it only lasted for about three hours or whatever it was until I had lunch because I had no idea where to where to begin like uh back and that in high school there was not like a vegetarian option and back in 1993 there was not even like you know i didn't know any other students who were vegetarian yeah so i uh, ended up uh, a few years after that my mother ended up having a stroke and i uh, she was only 54 a nurse and it made me be much more uh retrospective on what we had been eating and what led up to that stroke. And in a large part of it was our American diet that we were, we were accustomed to. And so that led me down uh, the path of, of saying, I I need to really like look at this deeper. And I started reading books and I, in, in transitioning and about the same time I discovered ultras. And so in a matter of like maybe five or six months, I, I went from like the traditional diet, uh, American diet to eating like vegetarian and then to total vegan while I was in college. Uh, and I noticed a, a tremendous change in my, my abilities like day and night. Uh, I went from like being a back of the pack uh, runner to being a uh, you know, much more, uh, uh, energetic and, and, uh, it, there was a transition. Wow. Um, where did you go to college? I went to college Bowling Green my first year, and then I transferred to the university of Minnesota. And, uh, so I had like a, a, a untraditional college experience in, a, in the fact that I was a young parent and also I worked uh, during the day. So, uh, it was a busy lifestyle <laughs> and on the weekends, but, but yeah, it was, uh, it definitely was a revolutionary time in my experience in my life experience. That is to, to go through those transitions, uh, discovering ultras and also changing my nutrition was, it had incredible impacts. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I love the fact that you were able to, you know, find plant-based nutrition to kind of supplement and enhance your running. Um, your running, you know, I've obviously read up on your story, but uh, I think it's fascinating that you didn't like really get into running until like high school, right? It just kind of like on a whim, you decided to, to run the, uh, was it the Cleveland Marathon? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I did start running in middle school, like uh, right 
about seventh to eighth grade, that transition uh, in, uh, I did track, um, but uh, I, I jumped into the Cleveland Marathon when I was uh, 15 as a freshman. And uh, my, my coaches, they all said, I, this, it, it's not great. It, it, you don't want to do it. <laughs> and uh, the other kids on my team were like, there's no way you can do it. <laughs> so I, I love, you know, when someone says you can't do something, it's yeah. like the greatest motivation to actually do it. And so I, I, I went out. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I could run like eight minute miles because I could do an eight minute mile for for eight miles, but that's the first I'd ever run. So of course when I got to like mile 10, 11, I was dying <laughs> and I ended up running and walking the rest of the race. Uh, and uh, it, it seemed like it was, uh, I was crossing the, the Sahara desert or something. <laughs> I mean, the, the difficulty for a 15 year old that has limited experience, it used to be like, I was really like chunk prior to this whole running experience. And so, um, like getting to the finish line was, was a, a breakthrough moment in my life and just kind of opened up so many other portals. Yeah. So like, so as a 15 year old that maybe didn't have that much confidence in life, like, tell me what, how that impacted you and other portals of your existence and how it fed those. Definitely. So up until that time, I was more of a D C student uh, with a couple F's and after having that experience, it, it just uh, awoken me to the potential of just determination. So if you're so determined for something, you know, it's, it's just about anything is possible. And that was a new insight for me because up to that point, I really didn't have the confidence that I could do well in school. That was part of my problem. Uh, so I didn't really give it my full effort because I didn't want to not succeed or, or I didn't think I could do it. And so I just learned really with, with everything, it's a matter of how much you know, pressure or effort you're willing to give uh, to make it happen in a lot of cases. So that was one of the, the biggest impacts on me and my grades changed. Uh, yeah, I had an idea I wanted to go to college, but uh, you know, after that, I really you know, did so much better in school and earn like A's and B's versus D's. And it happened like really fast, like literally after doing that marathon, the, the next school year, that wow. marathon was the end of that school year. The next school year, things were just totally different. Yeah, that's really, to me, that's, that is spectacular what, you know, um, what achieving something that maybe you didn't think you could do, like finishing that marathon when you were 15, the impact that had on really a lot of future decisions in your life and, and you know, the path that you're on now probably would have never happened without you doing that Cleveland marathon. No, nah, absolutely not. not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can you remember your time in that marathon? Yeah. I, I think it was somewhere, it was definitely over five hours and I think it was somewhere like five hours and seven minutes, eight minutes, somewhere around that. And, uh, actually, so I, every year I, I would repeat the same process. 
And I, I literally, it took me, I think, five years to finally break five hours in, <laughs> in the marathon. So it was a long time. And finally, uh, yeah, so finally I, I did break the five hours and then it took me a while to get, not too long, because then, then after uh, I was, I, I changed over my, my nutrition yeah. uh, at age 20, then I really uh, improved dramatically. Uh, so I, I, I think I went to maybe like under three hours and 30 minutes, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been, have you been then kind of vegetarian slash vegan now for like 24 years or something like that? Yeah. So I've been vegetarian for 25 years and after college, I, I've always been uh, as much as passion as I have for running and for food, I have for travel. Oh, and wow. I would do a lot of traveling. Uh, I did this uh, journey through Latin America, through 17 countries, just taking the public buses. And in that journey, I ended up just going back to eating vegetarian, just mainly out of convenience because I wasn't making my own food. And back in the late 90s, there were just not that many options sometimes in these travel places. Uh, now I'm much more like uh, I have more discipline about it and I'm more knowledge about it. And there's more availability of things. So I ended up being vegetarian up until five years ago. And then in 2016, I, I said, yeah, I changed back to eating just plant-based, all, all vegan. and that's a remarkable to me because my strongest run, running years of my life have actually been the last five years since I've gone back to eating vegan. And I, I, my only, I don't really have a regret, but my, if I were to have a regret in life, is this that I, I, I should have just, you know, maintained eating all vegan and, and worked through. Yeah. I was being kind of, uh, I could have given more effort and discipline and, and learned options, you know, so it it's, I'm grateful now that just, you know, being a place now where I, I have that knowledge, I, I, I've been able to apply it to my running in my life. And, it, and I mean, it's just incredible that I can perform now 25 years later at the best of my running ever. And it's just remarkable to me that in, in a big part of that, is the plant-based foods because it helps me to rejuvenate and recover so rapidly. I mean, it's a, it's a wild thing. Yeah. And so what are you, are you 44 now? I'm 45. 45. Okay. 45. And you're, and you're like, you're really crushing it in the ultra endurance running world. Um, would you say that 2021 has been your best year to date? Yeah, I would say it's been my best year to date. I uh, the this year has been just crazy. I I have every year I write down goals, and I I tend to have a few running goals, and every one of my running goals I achieve. So it's it, that doesn't, and I usually dream pretty big, so it doesn't normally happen that way. But uh, it was pretty amazing year, and uh, exciting. Yeah, I'll say so. And and so like officially, how long would you say that you've been running ultra distance runs? Yes, yeah, a decade or more. 
at 25 years. You've been 25 years. Okay. Yeah, I've been running ultras for 25 years. Okay. And what, what's your definition of an ultra? So an ultra is, is any distance further than a marathon. Okay. And so my first experience with the ultra was back in 1996. I did the fans 24 hour race and it's, uh, you, you basically repeat loops on a, on a lake and just, it's an endurance event where you see who can and how far you can go in 24 hours. I did like 81.25 miles. And, uh, my furthest 24 hour race actually back in 2019, uh, since I've been vegan, uh, and it was a world championship in France. I ran 160.609 miles. So I almost doubled yes. my original distance. And one of my, my goals in life is to eventually double that distance. That I ran the first time, uh, and run, you know, 162.5 miles. Right. Uh, so Eventually, I have to do that. What what pace is 160 miles in 24 hours? Do you know? Yeah, so it's slightly 160 miles is like right at a nine minute pace. So so running, uh, it's right right under. It's like five eight eight minutes and 54 seconds or something yeah. like that. Yeah, you have to run slightly faster than that for calculating in your restroom stops and stretching once every hour and a half for 40 seconds. <laughs> so. So, so what's, what's remarkable to me is that you've been doing ultras for 25 years and at the age of 45, you're now kind of maybe, I don't know if stronger is the right word. Maybe it's you're smarter and you just, you know, your body so well. Um, and I would imagine that ultras uh, require just a, such a combination of pacing, nutrition, hydration, your crew, all those things. I mean, would you say that you've totally got that dialed in now? Uh, or is it just, is it, a, is it everything that now you just have, you, 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 you've figured out how to link everything together? Yeah, it, 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 you hit it really well because there are those key ingredients and uh, the ones you listed, and then you could come up with like another six or seven are really pivotal. And it is the knowledge uh, ab about those items. Uh, and also uh, the nutrition really helps too. I mean, uh, and then putting it all together. So uh, it's, it's pretty amazing that you can uh, continuously grow uh, across so many years in the sport. And, uh, yeah, I say definitely now I'm stronger than I was for sure. When I was 20, like no doubt about it. Like now I can even like, right. There's certain things you can continuously develop. Like right now I'm training for the Barkley race. So I've been doing more climbing than I've ever done outside of going for the Appalachian trail record. Uh, and I mean, I noticed like even on my run to work this morning, like going up some hills, like I can go up them faster than I've ever in my whole life. Like, so it's, it's like, I mean, I ran up the stairs this morning, like to the, to my classroom, I'm on the fourth floor and I'm like, God, I can't believe I can do that now. Like without even like taking a deep breath or anything, <laughs> like it's just like right up wow. the stairs, but it's, it, it, it's wild how you can uh, impact your body. Like, I mean, through, through training, through like, uh, you know, the, the things you need, like for the key ingredients from the food, the sleep, nourishing your mind, 
there, there are so many things that you can impact yourself and, and continuously grow in. It's kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've been, it sounds like you've been having a lot of fun for a lot of years, it, which to me, I think that a lot, a lot of our, you know, people listening a little bit, including myself are like, Oh my God. I mean, it sounds so absolutely punishing. It sounds sadomasochistic, <laughs> whatever that term is. Um, and it doesn't sound fun. To me, it sounds, it sounds kind of, you know, borderline miserable. And I, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I think about what you've uh, you know, accomplished this year between you know, winning the, uh, the Bad Water 135 uh big dogs backyard you went for the appalachian trail record and i what happened there i don't even know what did you do there yeah that was uh actually 2018 okay and uh yeah yeah i i I was going for the record i finished with the eighth fastest time okay okay well this (laughs) that's still pretty remarkable um but like (sighs) do you I, I, I just like, you know, I, I just know from, you know, being a professional triathlete back in the day. And when I would do my long, like hundred mile rides and 10 mile runs, I'd be a little bit gassed for, you know, a couple of days. And the fact yeah. that you knew one bad water and then what a month later you went and you did big dogs backyard, 356 miles in 80 something hours. I mean, wow. I just, can't imagine but it was wild uh we actually had uh had uh two races in between bad water and bigs so what happened was i did i did bad water in july and then there was like a four or four week maybe five week uh and i had a 24-hour race in uh minnesota the original one i did 25 years ago and then after that, I did uh, the Superior 100 race uh, about 13 days later. And that was a group one, too, because they had 20,000 feet of elevation gain. So both those races, it kind of helped with preparation for Biggs. And then Biggs was five weeks after the Superior 100. So there was a, a little bit of a, there was a real tight fit between the, the, the Superior 100 and the 24-hour race. but. A little bit more time, not a lot of time. That's where it really helped with my nutrition because uh, it's kind of unusual to have something so tough. Then five weeks later, you have another tough end. It that it can be a little bit uh, too close together. But uh, it was. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to pull it off, but it came together, which was amazing. And uh, you know, it's a good question you ask, and and it can sound really masochistic. And really, number one is to find whatever's fun for you. You know, so I mean, you know, it might be really fun to just go out and hike or or go do a half marathon, and that's fantastic. Uh, But for me, there's a couple things that it involves psychology, and uh, not like I'm something I'm following in a formal sense. I don't have a, a coach. I've just learned this over the years. And like, uh, I always do something like, uh, it's kind of like Pavlov and like, uh, with, uh, psychology and you like a reward system. <laughs> so, you know, that's a big deal. Like if I do some really tough workout this last, like on uh, Saturday and Sunday, I did like some really tough workout. Uh, and so, you know, it's, you gotta have like some amazing dinner <laughs> or, yeah. or something you treat yourself to. Uh, you, you, 
you have something that that you have lined up. For example, I'm doing Barkley in March, uh, in in the, and basically I'm preparing like uh, to do a, a trip uh, to the uh, Cyprus after Barkley. So it's like after I either I survive or I don't survive at Barkley, but I'm going to have the reward of going to Cyprus following Barkley. So. Yeah, so so it, it it helps to have that positive association. So then you you make a positive uh, mental association with it. You know, it's not just discomfort; you have a reward as well. Yeah, but do you think? Do you think over the last twenty five years you've come to really relish that discomfort and just being just pushing yourself to the point of just total exhaustion? Is that something you feel like you need now? Yeah, I, I do like that. Actually, I really do. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, the the buffet always tastes amazing after you've been in the wilderness camping yeah. for, uh, you know, a week. <laughs> you know, it's like having, uh, you know, having uh, some level of lows creates the, the, the even larger highs. So, uh, you know, having some, having these these moments, they, they, they're, they're very, uh, there's a lot of things I get from them. Like I get re- reflection on life. Uh, I get to like, think about at a very deep level, what's important to me in the world. Mm-hmm. And I get to be connected with nature, you know? So that's a powerful thing. Uh, it, it's, a, it's something I can't really, it's like a deeper level of, of, of meditation that I cannot achieve just in my daily life. Like I'm going to go about my day today. I will get nowhere close to where I get when I'm running in a, in some ultra where I'm pushing myself like bad water. And, and I have the, 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 um, this force against me, but it, while I'm having that force against me, it opens up like s- streams of cognition that I don't normally have on a day-to-day basis. And it, it really, uh, opens up like my, my thinking, Sometimes, I mean, it's not like I'm always like in that deep level of thinking at every moment during the race, but it, it may be only like uh, moments, uh, fleeting moments during that race. But it, it, it is. So there's something special about that that I can't exactly pinpoint and like express entirely. But there's something really special about that, uh, that incredible challenge. And then also when you manage to achieve what, what your goal was, whether that is to finish or to finish at a faster pace or, or, or to win the race or what, whatever it may be. Uh, it's a incredible, uh, to feel that. Yeah. Well, I listen, um, I get exactly what you're talking about. I have never done ultras, but, uh, being an athlete my whole life and, you know, wanting to be in tune with my body and being out in nature, um, and just you know everything that comes with that. It's there's there's something very powerful there for sure. You've and you've drawn upon it, you know, in, in a big powerful way. I got a jillion questions for you. So first, what's what is Barclays? I don't know what Barclays is. You ever heard of Barclay? Uh-uh. uh-uh. No, I can't believe it. Oh, see, well, it is uh, a race run by the infamous Laz Lazarus Lake. Uh, it happens in Frozen Head State Park, and it is a race with 
40 runners. Um, basically, uh, there's a great couple documentaries are out now. And uh, you can uh, just Google Barkley Marathon. You'll, you'll see those. Uh, it's, it's a somewhat secretive race, and it has a secretive process for the application to get in. Uh, it's, it's nuts. Um, basically it's a, the hardest trail race in the world because they've only had 15 finishers since 1985. What? And you have to, yeah, it's nuts. You have to cover it. You know, Laz has said it's 20 mile loops and you do a hundred miles, but really it's probably like 135 miles or 130 miles. And then you have to cover, uh, 120 to 127,000 feet of elevation change in like 60 hours. <laughs> and it's off course, like you're only on a trail a fraction of the time. The rest of the time you have to like figure out your own coordinates based on the map that Laz uh, gives everyone to copy the night before. And it's wet oftentimes or foggy and you're navigating at nighttime. Uh, you have to find the books. There's like 13 books in the woods and you have to find them based on Laz's uh, sometimes cryptic instructions. <laughs> wow. So and you have a 60 minute time limit. So I'm 60 hour time limit. So it's very difficult. Uh, even if you uh, have like uh, many different skills, like it's a whole new set of skills that I have to develop. You know, I have to work on navigation uh, navigation at nighttime and it, when it's foggy, I have to figure out like uh, the mapping, uh, how to how to where to go. It's 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 confusing. You have to like do this while you're really tired. So if I survive two or three or four laps, then I'll be doing this after going for two two days straight, which is maybe five minute nap uh, a couple times. And so it, it's really tough because you can make a a, a couple one or two errors and it could cost you the whole race so uh just a navigational error you're sleepy and you're running down the embankment like it's off trail so you're you're running as fast as you can sometimes that is nuts uh and you, you hit a stub or something like that and you fall and break something and you're, you can be out of the race so you really have so many things you have to be mastering at the same time and be extremely focused well, I can see why that's the next uh, challenge on your list for sure. Have you ever done it before? No, I haven't actually. So, uh, and how it was the prize for winning the uh, Bigs backyard? <laughs> so, really? for winning Bigs, the winner of Bigs, they get uh, an entry into the Barkley race because uh, it's it is it is a very difficult to get into that race. Now. Wow. I would yeah. think I would think with your credentials, you'd be one of the top forty that would get in just by saying, "Hey, I'd like to do this race." Uh, no, you have to. I mean, you can get on the wait list, perhaps after if if yeah. you're someone's really accomplished, but it could still take you three or four years to get into the race. <laughs> yeah, is it televised or anything like that, or is there a uh, no? <laughs> No, it's no. uh, it's like pretty, pretty much the most old school fashion race you can dream of. And Laz is a character, and and yeah. all the people associated. Um, but uh, there is, um, I mean, they will have some updates. Like uh, the internet's not very good there. The reception's not good. Right, so. right, right, right. Wow, that almost sounds like when I first did the Escape from Alcatraz Triathlon in 1989. 
it was old school and it's since become very commercialized and right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's completely That's, changed. The, that would be fun. Oh yeah. That was, that was fun. The actual, the run back when I did that, the first two years was the double dipsy from Muir Woods to Stenson beach and back. It was 15 mile or seven and a half each, each way, which was, which was cool. That, that would be neat. Did you do it without a wetsuit? <laughs> no, 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 no. I did. It. it was 51 degrees. I wore a wetsuit. Oh no, it is cold. Oh yeah. Cold. Well, that's cold. That's cold. Especially for a mile and a half. It, yeah. Right. So tell me this, um, out of all the races you've done from marathon to, how do you pronounce it? Sables? Sables? Uh, yeah. Marathon to Sables. Marathon to Sables, Badwater, uh, Ultra Gobby, Arrowhead. Uh, what like was the most difficult? Yeah. You know, that's a great question, but I'm going to give you, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a bad answer, I guess, because I think that they're all really difficult races. Like, and it really depends on the person as well, because some people really love warm weather. And so like, if they do, bad water might not be the toughest race for them. Yeah. But, you know, uh, that person may really struggle in the Arrowhead 135. Like, that's a really cold race in northern Minnesota, and you have to pull a sled. That was fun to do. I would say the, uh, for me, uh, I, I don't, I remember just tough elements of each of the races, but the Gopi Trail Ultra could be one of the toughest because that was in China, and there was no course markings. Now that I'm preparing for big or Barkley, it doesn't seem as bad. <laughs> so I, I would say that even though I haven't run Barkley yet, I would say Barkley is probably going to be the tough. It's going to be, the, it's just purely going to be the toughest because uh, so few people finish, you know, it's only 15 people have finished that race. So, wow. I mean, if you only make it one or two loops at Barkley, that may not be physically, you know, as tough of course as Badwater. Um, but uh, it's it's so tough in terms of like just finishing, like just completing that race, like being out there on your own in the middle of the wilderness. There's no like GPS tracker on your back. You have no idea where you are. <laughs> so you gotta find your way back. Man. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I, I do I do love uh, the the adventure of it, and uh, it's it's there's there's so many challenging races. I mean, you could even say a, a mile race is a very challenging race because you you feel that pain for like a minute or whatever it is until you cross the finish line of the last twenty percent, thirty percent of your race, and it's uh, yeah, that that can be really tough. Yeah. What about um. So you did, you did, um, big dogs backyard recently. Um, and you went what? 354 miles, Four miles. point 50, 54.167. One, six, <laughs> yes. And is the reason you did so much? Was there somebody else that was pushing you like to where that's how many miles you had to do to win the, uh, the event? Yeah, so that's a whole nother format with ultras. You know, yeah. There's all these little specializations you could get into, and and ultra um, backyard ultras have exploded. They're like now in sixty some countries, and there's been over thirteen thousand people run one. So with 
with Biggs, you have to do a, a 4.167 mile loop every hour. And so this amounts to 100 miles every 24 hours. And it's 11 hours on the trail and 13 hours on the road. And so it doesn't give an advantage to someone who's a really strong trail runner, but not a very strong road runner or vice versa. You yeah. have to be kind of versatile. And uh, so with that race, it comes down to like the, the final two runners, whoever the uh, assist that we call it the assist, the person who is the second to last person to go out. And once they go out, the uh, final runner is only allowed to run one more loop. If they don't make that final loop, then no one wins the race and everyone's DNF. What? <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of wild. So, yeah, there wasn't a lot of push uh, this year. Uh, we had never been over 300 miles at Lazda's property. Lazda has a much more technical course than a lot of the other races in the world. And it has a good amount of elevation. Uh, so uh, there was a Japanese runner, Mori Rory, uh, who was, he was very competitive and as well as uh, the assist, Chris Roberts. They, they both were really uh, focused. Like uh, they, they did not want to give up. <laughs> well, I, don't I, thought, I, I thought the race was going to go on forever. We'd still be out there running right now. But uh it, well, as so, I told Laz, I said, I think that no one's going to quit here. No one's going to submit, Laz. <laughs> Eventually, it will happen. So, it did. Uh, but uh, we got into a really strong mode. After, uh, it seemed like once we got to 300 miles, uh, we even had more energy at times than we had at the beginning of the race. So, Mori Mori and I, we started, like, really just hammering each other. We would start running up the hills that we were walking in day one. And uh, Chris had gotten a bit of an injury in, in the second night, but miraculously, he came back to life on the third day, or I mean, the uh, was it the fourth day? Fourth day. Yeah. <laughs> the fourth day. He came back to life on the fourth day, and it is, I, I, it's amazing. He was running better the fourth day than he was earlier. So it's interesting how, you know, the people can push through these uh, barriers that you think that you you can't make it through and it's remarkable how far you can go. And it, a lot of it is the mind. Uh, some of it is the body, but a lot of it is the mind. Well, so what did you have a strategy going into bigs as far as, okay, it's a four point, you know, four mile loop. Uh, do I want to, you know, go 40 minutes or 45. So I get 15 minutes rest and I'm not, you know, going harder than I need to? I mean, what was your strategy? Yeah, I had a lot of strategies. Uh, and definitely when it came to pacing, that was uh, just to remain relaxed and having fun with what I was doing. So that, that was a really important element is, is staying relaxed. So like in order to do that, I had to run like uh, I ended up running at that particular race course like about a 53, 54 second loop on the trail. And on the road, I think it was around 48 minutes. And I was pretty consistent. Like I probably came within a minute every single time wow. minus a couple. So you're getting a seven, seven minutes off-road, seven minutes rest and around 12 when you're running on the road. Yeah. And that was what fit me. Like uh, it's yeah. different for everyone. And that worked for me on that particular course. But if it was a different course, I would have a different pacing element. And it just, 
it, it just settled well with me. Um, but you- uh, I also like to throw curveballs and mess with other people. So I probably, if it was like down to the last few days, I might, the last day I may, or, you know, later in the, the race, I may do different things as well. Huh. So are you able to, I mean, you were going for over three days. So into your fourth day, it doesn't, I don't think it's, I mean, I, I'm obviously could be wrong, humanly possible to go that long without sleep. Are you taking like three, five minute cat naps? And does somebody have to make sure you're like, you, you get up in time or? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, I, I was really concerned about the sleep. I think going into bigs, I was most concerned about the sleep the year prior. Uh, Courtney was the, I was the assist to Courtney Dewalter and she's a phenomenal runner. Uh, great person, uh, fun to run with. Um, but I, I noticed that like the sleep element was probably impacting me more the year before, or at least the psychology around the sleep element. So, uh, I did a lot of reading on sleep and actually the record for sleep deprivation is like really long. <laughs> so I was like, well, because yeah, I was thinking the same thing as you and going back into like the, the sixties, people were like experimenting with sleep deprivation. They got like 11, 12 days, more than that. Um, it's not recommended. No, it's not. <laughs> but, no. but, um, but, but so that told me that, yeah, we can, we can survive. And I didn't know like the people that did that sleep deprivation study, they, they did not like do that under physical distress. So I, just getting those little cat naps, like three to five minutes, it was powerful. And I do, I'd aim to do that every hour uh, in the nighttime. But to be honest with you, I'm not really sure how much I actually fell asleep. Like I honestly, like just laying there with your eyes shut has a impact on the human body. Yeah. Now, are you, are you lying there with your eyes shut, with your feet up in the air to try and, you know, get, yeah, that would be good. I, I didn't have them too elevated. Like I, I was in a cot. So, um, but elevating your feet is always a great idea, whether it's training or, or during a race, if you can, uh, I, I actually took my shoes off every lap. So, uh, even like just for like that four or five minutes, I found like I hadn't done that in previous years, but like taking my shoes off actually helped my, my body to rest and, and get to that, that place where I could fall asleep easier. What, what did you, what are you doing for nutrition for, you know, almost four days? So the nutrition is, uh, to eat as many calories as humanly possible. Like that is the number one thing. So it doesn't matter so much about whether they're carbohydrates or proteins. Um, although uh, it would be better to get more complex carbohydrates and simple sugars uh, when you're thinking about the longevity of it. So I wouldn't like dare want to just rely solely on like gels and things like that, like actually getting like soups and vegan mac and cheese and sandwiches with different, like uh, with avocados and lentils. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would eat like a lot of unhealthy things, like if you're to eat them on a daily basis, uh, right. like chips, but you just look at like how many calories potato chips have. And uh, so I would also have like squeezable fruits, uh, dried fruits, uh, just a lot of variety, burritos, uh, the uh, 
it wasn't like uh, I, I drank a lot of coconut water and tailwind. And uh, there wasn't like uh, just one specific thing. Mashed potatoes, vegan mashed potatoes and great are uh, uh, vegetable broth mixed together. Yeah. That's so, so good. Uh, yeah, but I would eat like anything that my, my crew chief Judd would provide. Like, uh, if we would try to eat something that was like more solid like that, at least every couple hours. Um, cause I, I could eat like snacks, like chips or fruits and things like that, but to get something that's kind of warm and, and, uh, and more hearty, like that, that was better for me to get every two or three hours. Mm-hmm. Would you say that your your nutrition strategy for big dogs backyard was different than like uh, Badwater or? Arrow? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. So, uh, and, and I would say that it. I think my my nutrition was the best of all the runners there. Like, I it, it was. I mean, I think it it was amongst the best, and that's why I survived the long the longest. Um, yeah. because I was able to eat, I think I pretty much out ate everybody. <laughs> I mean, I'm not really, I'm not trying to brag here, but I think I, I, I pretty much out ate everybody in terms of like the calories, uh, and the content. And, you know, I mean, I kind of observed everyone else and I think a lot of people were doing, doing, trying to do the same, but across the whole duration of 85 hours, I, I think that I ate a, a small city of food. <laughs> And uh, it really helped me to digest that food. I, ne- yeah. I didn't get sick at all. That whole race, I didn't get sick at all, like eating all that food. I mean, oh, I yeah. probably, I ate an unbelievable number of calories. Um, but that helped me to, to survive and to feel pretty good at the end of the race because I was able to eat like that. It, it matters. Now, bad water, I, I focus, it's so hot, it's over 120 degrees. So it's hard to eat like anything that, is like a, a solid format, you know, so I could have for sure, you know, tailwind and gels and, uh, you know, fruit, uh, but it's difficult mashed potatoes and gravy. Anything I would eat would have to be easy to dissolve mm. in bad water. And, uh, sometimes you can't eat larger portions. So like at, at Biggs, I had these like muffins from Abe's or something like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. uh, yeah. Abe's muffins. I mean, I ate like half of a package of that, like at one time, like six of them. I think that's like, that's like 700 calories or something like that at uh, one time. More than that. Like, more than that. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of calories. And so I would, I would never really do, I would never do that in bad water. I might eat like one of them at a time in bad water. And I probably only could eat two and I'd have to rotate. So diversity also matters. A lot of people can't handle diversity. Like they, they really have like four things they can eat. or it messes with their mind or it's just they have a negative association with it but for me i actually had probably at bigs like 28 items like i was eating like 28 different things and in bad water i have i I have tailwind is my number one drink but i have like 12 or 15 different drinks like it's it sounds crazy but it works for me and i never drink water like yeah. I only drink drinks with the calories because I'm trying to like energize myself along the endurance event. Wow. Are you, are you, um, so when you're not, when you're drinking drinks that aren't just water, are you worried at all about the percentage of, uh, 
like how dilute it is so it doesn't jack with your stomach and you can absorb it all properly and you yeah the only thing i'm worried about is uh how much it has in terms of electrolytes yeah so uh at bigs i wouldn't be quite as worried because it's not so hot but in bad water like i would want it to be at least uh half and half like half of my drinks have to have electrolytes if i'm relying only on like you know, Coca-Cola and, you know, Dr. Pepper and Mount and root beer, uh, you know, those drinks don't have any electrolytes in them. So if I only drank those drinks, eventually my engine would crash. Those are good and so at bad water, I'm like, my yeah. team knows that I have to have half of my drinks roughly estimated to be electrolyte drinks. So like tailwind, uh, or even coconut water has some electrolytes in it. Um, but half of my drinks have to have electrolytes. I can't just rely on, uh, you know, only. And at bigs, it, it could it it also factors in. Um, but uh, in terms of dilution, I don't like. I like drinks to be like uh, sweet and strong. Like so, I don't like uh, drinks that are like uh, you know half water and or like more watered down. I don't like that so much. Um, it's 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 something that probably people have to adjust into. And I've trained myself to do that over years. So I could literally eat like a giant burrito from Chipotle and like a giant thing of like tailwind and then just go do a 5k as fast as humanly possible. And I probably won't get sick. <laughs> like I, I won't, I, and I'll try. I would definitely not get sick. That's but like, even like running a 5k as fast as I humanly can after eating that stuff, it, I don't get sick. But I've trained myself for that. Like that's one of the like twelve or fifteen, like uh, pillars of ultra running. Like the ingredients that you have to train yourself on, and that's like conditioning yourself to be able to absorb nutrition is huge. So have you always can? I mean, at what point were you like, you know what? I'm pretty good at this, and I like winning, and I'm a fierce competitor. I mean, is that something that, you know, you, you just kind of grew into or um, was it, has it always been like part of who you are? Uh, it's like, I have both sides because with this sport, I like absolutely admire anyone that's willing to go out there and finish in the back of the pack because that's amazing. I mean, I was that person. I did that for years. So uh, I absolutely admire that so much. Uh, so uh, to me, like it's participating in our sport is the number one thing. So my number one goal in every race is always to finish a race, even if that means finishing last. And if I ever finish a race last, that might be the race that is most meaningful to me because it took the most conviction to get there to finish last. But there was a, a, a bit of a transition, I say, uh, it, it kind of happened after I broke my neck. Uh, so I broke my neck in 2004 and, and that like really uh, also impacted my mindset. And so I was, I, it just gave me a higher level of drive to want to go out and, and chase after my best. And I love the competitive element. So races like Badwater, and like at bigs, especially where you have all these runners just coming together, it's really fun to go out there and like uh, 
to to come in as an underdog and to uh, achieve higher than you thought you ever could achieve before. What? Um, how did you break your neck? It was uh, a bad car wreck. Uh, there was a car that spun out in front of me, and I went off the road to avoid hitting them. My car rolled over multiple times, and then uh, I didn't know my neck was broken. I managed to climb out of the vehicle. It took me some effort because I, I couldn't break the glass very easily. And uh, I ended up like uh, getting to a hospital and they thought everything was fine at first because I was calm and comfortable, but then they did the x-rays and it turned out that I had broke my uh, fourth and fifth vertebrae. So I have like uh, surgery It had an extra bone added and some titanium. And it's amazing that the, you know, world we live in today where we can be, uh, yeah, have have some sort of medical treatment like that that can enable us to continue on. Uh, so, I mean, I, I was looking at for uh, a time, uh, the night of the accident where maybe I could die or I could be paralyzed forever. And so that having a, the, uh, the opportunity to, to still run and enjoy life it, with, with being able to move was uh, something that's indescribable. So I, I just can't, you know, yeah. give up that opportunity <laughs> yeah feel how feel how fortunate you were to make it through that um, yeah yeah so yeah. like it was such a good thing i broke my neck <laughs> i mean uh, yeah oh, definitely you know it's, it's not that i i wish to go out and break anything else right now but you know breaking my neck was was a a a really powerful experience to like have life almost uh taken from you and then have another lease on life. It, it's just a super powerful uh, thing that I still I may take for granted today. But just when I think about that, it just makes me want to, you know, live life to the fullest. Yeah. So you mentioned you mentioned you know you have such admiration for anyone that toes the starting line at any of these events, and uh, and you really admire, for example, the the people that come in last. Uh, You've done, t- correct me if I'm wrong, you've done bad water 10 times. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, 10 times. 10 times. And you had one year where something happened after a couple of miles and you what? You walked like the last 85, 90 miles. Is that right? Yes, yeah. Actually, that was the year of the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> so my father and I, we set out on this journey, 2,190 miles. And I had like a little time frame to work with because I teach high school it goes until the end of May and I knew Badwater I've got a tradition of going out there and making annual pilgrimage of running Badwater around mid-July so I had a little time to work from finished Appalachian Trail with five days before that the Badwater race and so I wasn't really sure if I'd be able to finish Badwater because that AT beat me up so bad. I mean, imagine falling over a hundred times, uh, covering 43 miles a day. You're, you're, you're basically covering the elevation of Everest every three days. So it, wow. it just, just, just beats you, beats you up so badly. You know, it, 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 it took me about, uh, a, a year to get fully back to a hundred percent, but at one year, actually one year, but, uh, the, the Badwater race was five days after me finishing that. So I had to drive home with our, our uh, work truck, 
fly out west, you know, get, get all the arrangements together. During this time, I'm only running like one mile a day to keep my run streak alive. And when I'd run that one mile, I'd be like, man, I'm tired. <laughs> this one mile, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do 135 miles. So getting to the race, I, I did run the first, uh, I think about 42 miles, uh, which I was surprised that it felt as good as it did. Although once I got to mile 41, 42, I, I felt like this, like pull on my groin and I thought I was going to break. <laughs> so I had to walk the whole rest of the way, about 93 miles. Uh, and it was uh, a unique experience. I hadn't run or walked like that far in my whole life. Um, but uh, at finish, and that was really the, the best like experience to just finish. And even if it was like, I wasn't the last runner, but you know, just finishing was, was something special for sure. What, what, what year was that? That was 2018. 18. So you won it in 2014. You won it in 2021. You know, you got a, what, six year, seven year gap between, you know, wins there. Yes. That's wild. Um, And there's probably so much that can happen over those 135 miles that sets you up for that win or, or your second or third. And you've got to probably have a, a, just a great race and everybody else's race probably has to maybe not be kind of perfect. Yeah, it was wild. All right. It was, it was wild. And I mean, really bad water is tough to have a perfect race in that race. I mean, it, there's a lot of different elements that pushed on you. I mean, it's 120 degrees. So uh, this last year was just, uh, it was a dream of mine. Uh, one of my goals I had wrote out at the start of the year to win bad water and to win bigs. And it was incredible to have it happen. I mean, just, uh, it was really a large part was my team. Also, I had an amazing team that helped and supported me out there as crew members. And we take on like the energy of our team members. It's really important to have that positive energy, but that, yeah, it's something super, super strong. Uh, Another one of those categories that, that helps to push you upward. Well, and just for the for the listeners that, that don't really know, bad waters, you start in Death Valley, right? And yeah. you climb over 17,000 feet and you go over, what, three mountain passes. You finish on Mount Whitney. Um, wow. Incredible. It, and it's a beautiful place. Like, uh, that's why I like returning. There are some, I like to do a, a few new races every year. Yeah, I also like to do a few of the races I repeat every year. And Badwater is one I plan to do until I can no longer run. I plan to do it forever. <laughs> so I'm not planning to stop that anytime soon. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it was a really wild experience this year on the second mountain. Uh, well, we'll go back. Like the first 40 miles were very windy this year. And it was a strong headwind. Uh, I was in second place, uh, all throughout the first half of the race, but the, the leader was continuously moving ahead of me. Uh, so I think he was at like about 40 minutes ahead of me on the second mountain. I, I felt terrible and, uh, I got to the next checkpoint and I saw that the leader actually didn't gain on me, even though I was going much slower than I typically go. It actually motivated me because I was like, uh, I knew uh, that, that he's also struggling. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, 
I was able to really turn it around uh, mentally and chase him down. And, uh, but it was wild to, it, it didn't, the race did not happen with me feeling amazing the whole way. Like I actually felt rough myself. So to have like a situation where you're not feeling your best, but then you can pull it together, that made it even sweeter. Like uh, to, to have the finish that we did and to have adversity in the midst of it, where, you, where you, you have to really pull it together mentally and also like pull things back together, even though you're not feeling your strongest. Like that, that's what made it even more special. All right. We'll get back to Harvey in a sec. But first, I'd like to take a minute to read an email from one of our community members who has found success with the power of plants. This letter is from Bud. Rip, I wanted to say thanks. Thanks for helping me save my own life and lose 50 pounds. Today marks three years of 100% plant-based eating with fantastic results. My wife and I saw you talk at the Whole Foods in Naples, Florida in January 2019. And since then, both of us have been 100% plant-based. I had a slightly high cardiac calcium score and wanted to do something about it. This lifestyle has lowered all my blood levels enough to where I don't have to take a statin anymore. I've also lost 35 pounds in the last 18 months and have been able to keep it off ever since. Thank you. You are really providing a needed service. Well, bud, I wanna thank you for sharing your success because your ongoing success and health is the real service and the best way of paying it forward for you and for your family. So thank you for sharing. And don't forget, anyone can join our free community at community.planstrong.com where inspiration awaits. Speaking of inspiration, let's get back to Harvey Lewis. So you've done Badwaters ten years. Did uh, did you ever compete against Goggins or 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 Scott? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Scott uh, Jerk, he actually did two years of Badwater, yeah. uh, and he actually won both those years as well. Uh, but that was uh, back in two thousand six and two thousand seven, I believe. Okay. So my first Badwater was two thousand eleven. Got it. Uh, Goggins. Uh, also, I've, I've run with Goggins and Badwater. The year I, I he actually he wrote in his book, which is it's a great book. Uh, he wrote about the 2014 Badwater. And he ended up having some difficulty and having to drop out uh, after the first mountain on that one. That's the one where I won the race. Oh. Uh, but uh, I remember uh, having a couple of exchanges with David. He's he's uh, definitely a character and in. Yeah, I love his book and and what he's done to inspire people is is amazing because I know he's he's brought a lot of people into the sport uh, that that had no idea of it or had no interest in that, and so he's he's elevated the sport. I feel like, uh, and so I, I admire what he's done. Yeah, you know, you mentioned your running streak. You're, you've been you've kept it alive uh, even when you have to do one mile. What is what? How long is your running streak? Right now, it's uh, at like two and a, two years, uh, maybe a month. So it's uh, it's building back. I almost had it to five years, and then I I got a bit of a or a uh, Achilles in 
pull at the 2019 24-hour world championship. Uh, um, but uh, so, I mean, it's incredible. There's people that have streets for like 40 years plus. So it's, uh, it's amazing. But I do enjoy it. I, I, going back in time where I was a younger person, I, I think I thought that was kind of crazy or why would someone want to do that? But for me to go like, uh, I, my, if you saw my calendar, you'd be like, oh my God, Harvey, what are you doing? <laughs> I got so many things on there with runs. I mean, I, I don't just run once a day. I normally run twice a day. And a lot of days I run three times a day. And so, cause I'm always running back and forth to work. I've got that streak is like going on eight years. Uh, so, but for me to go run, like uh, if I do my, like a little little day, small day is like maybe only eight miles. Like that's, to me, that's almost like a day off. Like, cause I'm just running like easy. I'm running a couple of times in a day and it's just easy. I'm not like running fast. It's like kind of like walking. So uh, then I have my other days that like I'll, I'll do more miles or do more intensity, but so it's not like every day is a hard day. Like the, the, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that might not make sense to you. But oh, totally. No, no. But no, no, totally, totally. It might sound it, it, hearing my hearing myself say it. It sounds like it does sound a little silly, nah. <laughs> a little ridiculous. But do you, do you even own a car? I I do. I do actually have a vehicle, yeah. and my fiance lives in Circleville, so I, I actually live between two different cities. So I have to commute there. I have run there before. It's 104 miles, <laughs> but it's a lot easier to drive. Otherwise, oh, yeah. my whole weekend would be consumed with just running to see my fiance or running home every is weekend. She, is she a runner? She is. Yeah. Fortunately, Kelly puts up with me. Wow. Wow. So did you did you meet her at one of the uh, the like events or? Yes, I actually did meet her at a 24 hour race where we were both stuck on the same loop. So she couldn't run away from me. <laughs> wow. I got to like, you know, really talk to her. I'd, I'd run with her for a while. Then I'd like speed up and do a few laps, catch back up with her. And it was motivation to keep me moving faster. Uh, is she also plant-based? She is like 95%. Uh -huh. So she, she has, uh, she doesn't, she eats cheese pizza when she wants to. Right. Um, right once a week or something, but, uh, she's really changed her, her, uh, eating habits like, uh, as well. Um, I mean, she was like very traditional American diet and she's no, she's, she's also found an impact with eating like more plant-based foods and she's amazing chef. She makes like incredible stuff. Like I, I, I love it. That's awesome. So, um, you live in Cincinnati, right? Yeah. And, and how long have you been teaching and what, what do you teach? Yeah, so I teach financial literacy and American government at the School for Performing Arts. It's a public arts school. It's K through 12. We're, we're closing in our 50-year celebration. Wow. Uh, it's, uh, it's a really neat school because it's very diverse. Uh, we have students coming from all different backgrounds across greater Cincinnati. Uh, so we have a very... A diverse population and a, a, a really amazing group. Like they're really interested in their particular major, whether that be ballet or musical theater, uh, like vocal, uh, 
creative writing. So it's, it's a neat environment. Uh, and I get a lot of positive energy from my students that I like then, then take and take it to the altars. So, I mean, I think that, uh, some of that, you know, mindset I've, I've been able to, uh, gain also from my students. Do they, uh, do they realize what a running stud you are? (laughs) I don't know about that. I don't know if I say my, my students, uh, they, we, we have a lot of fun with it. Like, uh, today we did push-ups in second bell. Uh, so, and I had our student, he comes in, does push-ups when he wants to, he's a senior. So he comes in like on a whim and say, all right, usually once a day or every other day. So it's ready for our push-up time. Let's go. Wow. So, and then uh, on the run to work, I'll see some of my students will join me run a little ways. Yeah. So it, they do know I'm into the running thing, but, uh, I do try to like, uh, I, I try not to be overbearing at all, but I just try to be there as a, as a role model. And then like it's a resource if they have questions. I would like to, we have had the vegetarian club in the past, but due to COVID, we have not had that now. Mm. So I, the, having the vegetarian club gives me a little opportunity to speak about nutrition. And otherwise, I really don't speak about that much. I, I do have one lesson I talk about health in terms of financial literacy and its impact on our financial health. Uh, but, uh, I, I'm kind of just, I, I try to not be overbearing. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think that's a really smart approach and I just, I can't imagine how, um, mm, how much some of the other teachers, you know, must respect you and, you know, be in awe of you and feel really lucky that, you know, you're, you're teaching at this school and, um, you know, and and the positive energy and influence that you have really on the whole school community, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty remarkable. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, honestly, our school is a, is a really neat place. And like every teacher here, I think brings their own special dynamic that, you know, adds to the whole picture. So I, I definitely don't feel like, uh, you know, I'm bringing any additional uh beyond like each other, each other person here. Like, I think they all bring something that's powerful, but uh, it's, it's been a, uh, it, it's a really neat career to be in teaching uh, or to be a teacher. And uh, it's nice. It's really powerful. Like, uh, especially with my, my group I have, like, I mean, I get a lot of like for the, the race bigs, for example, I had my students write out uh, if they want to, I didn't say you had to, <laughs> They, they had note cards. They could make a message for me. And so uh, Judd, my chief, when I was going through like difficult parts of the race, he could hand me one of these note cards and I would read it. And I really, you know, it really empowered me through that lap. I mean, there's no way I'm going to be stopping. I want my students saying something positive. Like that's, that's just fuel the fire for sure. So, yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely a, a, dual relationship uh in terms of like you know i'm getting a lot from my students as well as giving yeah nice so it it seems to me that you also have a a passion for different causes um in your life and i know that back in 2008 for example um you retraced gandhi's salt um salt march yeah 241 miles or something like that Um, right what was what was 
Tell me a little bit about that and why you did that. Yeah. So I love connecting to history and being able to share that with my students. And also I've intrigued for, you know, historical figures, uh, Gandhi going to India, like uh, my cousin and his uh, girlfriend at the time, we were going to India and I came up with this idea, let's retrace Gandhi's footsteps. And so it started in the Gandhi Ashram in Ahmedabad. It was 241 miles to Dandi. It was a crazy adventure because uh, I didn't have a support crew. In fact, my cousin and his girlfriend, they broke up on the second day and they ended up going <laughs> off on their own, like on their bikes. Yeah. So I was running through India with just a, a backpack with like 10 items because that's what Gandhi always had. And so I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to actually simulate this experience. I'm going to have like 10 items. And so it was challenging because of so many reasons, but the, the congestion, like it's a, there, there's more uh, congestion than there is like open space in, in that area of the world. And there was a lot of like, uh, a lot of uh, challenges with the pollution in like uh, the different cities. Like it would just, uh, that was probably, the, I didn't think of it as being a challenge going into it. But that was really difficult, surviving the pollution. Wow. The people were extraordinary. They would give me everything I asked. Like, I mean, I wouldn't ask for anything. They'd give me everything they had. So, I mean, the people were just amazing. Uh, I had the Times of India following me every day uh, in different journalists. Uh, so they would publish everyday updates. And so along the journey, about every two or three trucks would just be honking at me and waving. So everyone knew what I was doing at that point. I go through like Muslim communities and Hindu communities. And at the end, I met up with a, a school of deaf and blind children. And the principal had the students finish the last mile with me, uh, which was something is just like mind blown. Wow. Getting to meet the kids and the people there. Now, so... How long did it take you to, to it do It took me year? 10 days. Yeah. So I wasn't as strong of an athlete back then. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know uh, some of the things I know today. So I absolutely destroyed my feet. I had the worst blisters of my life, like blisters on top of blisters on top of blisters. And it was like filthy. I mean, I ended up like coming back to America. I ended up getting like uh, a staph infection. Oh, like in my leg, like uh, not even it was like two months later or something like that. And I got like sty in my eye. I remember like I got I had things that would like hit me like three, four months later from that journey just because I, I brutalized my body so much to survive. It was tough. I had to actually get bamboo sticks to uh, make it because my feet were just so like blistered. Uh, from the heat, it was a very hot environment and very like uh, humid environment. So you're talking like close to hundred degrees. It was the summertime and it was humid, like very high humidity. So uh, I learned a lot and I didn't have electrolytes. I drank a lot of like soda and just whatever was available. So that was problematic too. I learned a lot in that journey. Well, it sounds like that was one of your most difficult races. Yeah. 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 It, it really was. It was very difficult. Oh my gosh. So it gave, gave, gave you a ton of respect for Gandhi and doing that, huh? Wow. 
Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's amazing just to imagine how he captivated millions of people. But that journey was not easy as well. Yeah. Like, uh, 20, 20, a little bit over 20 days. Um, so, and it was March, but it's still like, it's a journey. It's a journey nevertheless. And, and to do something like that to uh, draw upon, like uh, you know, to, to, to bring media attention and to embody the movement he was creating, that was really interesting to see. What um, so you mentioned blisters, getting really bad blisters. What what advice would you give to people as far as you know, running socks, shoes, so that they don't get blisters? Yeah, you know, a big thing that I learned is to put uh, I put squirrel nut butter on my feet before I put my socks on, and it's not like tons of it, but I just like put that over like a, a little layer. Mm-hmm. And then I put my socks on, uh, and that, that was a huge jump forward to like, learn, learn that. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I think maybe your running form could impact you too. Uh, I, I wear Newtons, uh, which happen to be, uh, all, all vegan. Uh, they're a small little company out of Boulder, but I've been wearing them for like 11 years. And I notice sometimes when I'm, when I'm running, like only, only a couple of times I, I notice in a year, like if I'm like running on a trail that has an embankment, yeah. I notice like my foot positioning, I have to adjust it slightly just because I'm starting to maybe build up a, a blister. But the Newtons really helped me because I have a very efficient stride. So I don't really get the type of blisters that I used to get. But uh, I think that, you know, you want to have like a, not maybe tie your shoes looser when you're doing a longer event. So if I'm running something over like uh, 50K, like I'm actually like my shoes are much looser and I don't tie them as tight. If I'm running like a 5K, my shoes are really tight. And uh, I'm just all about like, you know, being able to turn and move as fast as possible. But in the longer race, you actually don't want your shoes tight. You want them rather loose. You Not too loose, but like right. rather, you know, just do you right. Do you almost want to have your shoe to take, like, for example, when you're running Death Valley in the heat, do you almost want to have like a half a size bigger to accommodate? Some people do that. I, I don't do that because I think it could affect your form. And with, with the Newtons, I, I just have it like they, they're already not like snug against my feet. Like I, I wear a size 12 always. And uh, if I wore 11 and a half, that would definitely feel too tight. But if I wore 12 and a half, I did that for the Appalachian Trail. I, I think, come, come to think of it, I think I may have had like one pair that was 12 and a half because uh, my feet were swelling a little bit. But I don't think I, I think I always like, you know, just not to, to get too large. But I know people do that for like six day races. They'll often do that. I, I think it could affect your form, which could create other types of, problems for your body you know like uh fortunately i've been able to also stay injury free like knock on wood for all all this time more or less i mean i, I mean even like right now I, ha- I don't feel a single issue on my body which is amazing <laughs> i mean that's crazy. nice yeah yeah I, I have mr miyagi i did go see mr miyagi like uh it was yeah. two days ago or yesterday so he, he does help things but uh yeah it's kind of wild well, I can't wait to look you up and, and w- look at your form 
because you definitely have you're you're doing a lot of things right, and it might not be that good <laughs> later in the race. It's uh, not bad. I, I, I know my weaknesses. I, I have a tendency that my arms kind of move up a little bit more when I'm when I'm running. But see, it's like you have to do the check on yourself and be like, yeah, yeah. I, am I doing that? And then you, oh yeah, I am doing that. It relaxes my shoulders. Like I have a tendency. We all as runners, we tend to like tighten up a little bit when we're running. So when I'm pacing a marathon, I'll say to my marathon group, yeah, you make sure you relax your shoulders, relax your breathing. The more relaxed you are, the faster you are. So you have a marathon group? No, I mean, I pace marathons for Cliff Bar for about okay. eight years. And then I still pace like the Flying Pig Marathon every year. I, I really get a lot of joy out of that. I enjoy helping others to reach their personal best times. Nice. So it's it's fun for me to like run a pacing uh, time and like have a group of people with me and just talk talk them through the race. And then also give them motivation as we're going through the race and try to help them to get their fastest possible time. Yeah. Are you, are you able to make money running or is this just purely a, you know, a, 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 a life's passion? It, it's more of a life's passion, but uh, I do have a small business. Uh, I take people in the summertime to Portugal with RunQuest Travel. And so uh, for me, it's not, uh, you know, my main, my main, uh, your career is of course teaching. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've, I've gotten some assistance from my sponsors, uh, for adventures, but it's pretty much going to the adventure. And, uh, you know, it, I, I, I really don't, I'm happy with my lifestyle, so yeah. I don't really need any more things. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> It, it's kind of true. I mean, I, I don't really need, I, I'd rather be a more, more of a minimalist. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, for me, like, uh, you know, I mean, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't mind if like some company says, okay, we're going to give you, uh, all the coconut water in the world. And we're going to offer you uh, a salary for that sponsorship for that that covers all your costs, but I still plan to teach. So, I mean, even if I had that, I would, I would still plan to teach because I enjoy the experience of teaching. Uh, tell me who are, who are some of your sponsors that help you out? Well, Newton is a sponsor. I've, I've been with them for 11 years. Uh, also two times you, uh, they're a sponsor. I, I love the gear. Uh, Tailwind is, uh, also squirrel nut and butter, uh, road ID. Uh, so I have these, this is, uh, Really nice to have. Uh, it's got my information. So if anything ever happens to me, so someone can see this, they can get in contact uh, with my significant other. And uh, the road ID is actually really nice. This is the Dream Big uh, band, and it's kind of modeled after Death Valley. Uh, and um, we did this for a scholarship for my students. So a portion of sales went to, the, to that scholarship. Uh, and I think we've, we raised maybe $2,500 this year for that. So we're going to repeat that. We'll do one or two dream big bands each year. Nice. Um, but, uh, so that is, is exciting. Uh, but, uh, and then, uh, yeah, so that's, that's pretty much my sponsor. So I, it's, uh, but again, it's more like for me, it's just, uh, running is a passion. And even if I had, I mean, it, nothing like, I, I mean, I'm, I get everything I get is just by doing the sport, the people I interact with, 
I mean, we have an amazing community in ultra running. The, the places I see, I mean, just get out in nature. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's an incredible experience. Yeah. Well, I can tell uh, that you feel very blessed with, with, with running and what it's given you. And, um, and you could, you know, I, I, I remember, I think it was Lance Armstrong back, you know, after he had beaten cancer and just saying, you know, he, he would be happy in a tent just as long as he could continue to ride his bike. And, um, you know, there's, there's something to, you know, less is more being minimalistic and just being happy, you know, with the basics and being able to move your body right in a way you love yes. it. Love it. Yeah. 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 Nothing better. So, is your father also running? You mentioned that he took part in the Appalachian Trail. Was he supporting you? Yeah, he was my support crew. Uh, he, uh, he, I couldn't have done it without him. I mean, uh, in fact, uh, he uh, drove this uh, old Ford van uh, across the whole Appalachian Trail and provided me with gear whenever we could intercept, uh, wherever he could intercept me. Sometimes it was every... 12 miles every 15 miles in Maine wilderness it was further gaps. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was a really a, a chance of a lifetime to be able to spend that time with my father. And we ended up um, uh, road ID actually produced uh, a film called like Harvey, like son, which is really about the story of our, our journey together and the relationship we have uh, with one another as much as it is about the nature of the AT and the, the challenge of, wow. of, of making that journey. And uh, right now we, we're hoping for it. will it will uh, make it to a streaming service. Uh, I kind of got, uh, it kind of got bumped by the whole COVID uh, because we had, it, it was originally aligned to open in theaters starting out west in, in uh, Hollywood in April of 2020. And oh, yeah. so with COVID hitting, uh, we were, it was reduced to like, I think maybe 70 or 90 theaters in the country. And like, you know, attendance was down to like 15%, you know? So it didn't get that initial, you know, push, but uh, you can, if anyone's interested, they can go on Facebook and search like Harvey, like Son. It, it is, a, it won about 19, 11, it won 11 different awards for documentary, for the documentary, like uh, for um, uh, competitions. Wow. Yeah. How, how, did, how did that, how did that come to, come to life as far as, did somebody approach you saying, Hey, I want to do a documentary about, you know, your Appalachian trail with your father. Or? Uh, that was an interesting story. So actually, uh, there's a, the director, uh, Rudy, uh, Harris, he has a business where he does, uh, commercials for companies and he was doing a commercial road ID that I was involved in down in, uh, Kentucky. We were running on this beautiful area called, uh, the gorge and uh had some amazing like shots uh and, and fun with it i mean with this uh and i said hey i've got this adventure plan this summer you know uh i'm not sure what i could tell you guys but i'd love to have you there and i ended up telling him and he worked it out with road id and they they 
it was really a challenge for, for them to shoot this because they came out four different times and like trying to get up on the trail is really difficult. I mean, it's like, this is a rig. Most of the trail is very technical. It's not like just a normal trail with dirt. I mean, there's a lot of very technical areas. And so it's tough to get the, the equipment in there. And uh, I think it was, it was something that, that they had no idea what they're getting themselves into. But once they got into it, they loved it. Uh, so it was, a, it was a lot of fun. They were a great group of people. It was uh, a small group. Um, but usually they come out with like maybe four or five people and uh, be shooting. And, and, and uh, they weren't there the whole time. They came out like three or four different times. Uh, and I had a blast with them. So I mean, it, it, and ultimately, no matter what, it's it's uh it's it's really meaningful to me because I have a film with my father. Like you know, so I'll always be able to look back and, and see that and capture that experience. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, what a great keepsake. Um, now I know from the documentary, The Game Changers. I don't know if you ever seen The Game Changers. Oh yeah, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, and just hearing from. Um, from Louis Sahoyas, you know, the, the, uh, the director, how challenging it was getting some of the, that footage of Scott Jurek when he was, mm. when he got the record, was that 2017 that Scott did? He that? got the record in, uh, I think, uh, 2015. 15. Okay. Yeah. 2015 or 2016. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it, it, it's impressive. Impressive uh, that they, it, they got that footage. Yeah, it well, it <laughs> as you probably know, it it chewed Scott up pretty badly, uh, and he went yeah he went north. Did you go? Did you go north to south? I went north as well. You did. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Hey, is that your first time trying it? It was my first time. Yeah. Wow. And that made it tough. Uh, you know, yeah. so Scott was smart that he went out there with Carl, uh, his friend, you know, and had had been out there before. So he had a little, maybe he had some more exposure and in, in seeing someone else do it, which is helpful. I think before I went out to it, I had no conception of what the Appalachian Trail really was. Yeah. I mean, to me, I thought it, it just seemed like it was going to be so much easier than it actually was. Yeah. I, I envisioned the trails we have in Ohio, uh, like there are dirt trails without that many rocks and roots. And then I got to like Pennsylvania and I'm just like, there's a 80 miles of just rocks that are all different like sizes. They literally, it's just nuts. Yeah. And so, uh, and there's a lot more climbing. I mean, 10,000 feet a day, that's a lot of climbing when you're running like 50 mile days, you know? So like the first three weeks I was running 50 mile days and I had like a rough stretch in the white mountains where I was doing significantly lower. Yeah. Um, but when you're running like 50 miles a day and you're covering 10,000 feet, it's like to run 50 miles on a road, that would be pretty hard. Um, it wouldn't be that hard, but to add like it's on a technical trail and then to add 10,000 feet of climbing, it's really rough on your body. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a challenge. I mean, I learned a lot. Like if I were to go back and do it again, I would do things differently. Like I would have started with poles. I didn't start using poles until like like the last half of the, the event i should have started off by using poles and training with poles because that puts less pressure on your body uh that that would be one thing i would do differently i would i would probably 
not push as hard when I'm feeling tired and I would like pace myself better and not be so like laser focused that we must reach, you know, this mount today. Cause some days maybe it's better to go slightly less. Yeah. And then the other thing I, I became over dependent on the vehicle. Uh-huh. So what I meant by that is that the vehicle would be positioned uh, we could only get it like in some places every 10 or 12 miles. So maybe if I, if I finished at eight 30, uh, at one point, um, if I were to go the next 10 or 12 miles to get to the next point, it might be 11 o'clock. Yeah. So I had to choose between, do I want to stop at eight 30 or do I want to stop at 11 and neither of those are great times. It would be better for me to maybe stop it at nine 45 or 10 o'clock. So I had to like, it would be better if I slept more on the trail, but I found a way to do that comfort. Like I, I just didn't have a system that was very good for sleeping. I did it. I slept out in the woods, but it was, I, I'd have to transition myself. Did you have a difficulty with ticks at all and rain? No, I actually, ticks. I only had like two ticks on me. I think the whole trip. That's incredible. That's it. I know. I don't know. It's, I don't know if it's, they don't like, uh, you know, uh, the food I eat or what, <laughs> uh, but, uh, the, yeah, the rain was crazy. We have a trailer that you can pull up and it, it's got, uh, myself and my fr- friend, Greg Armstrong, uh, running across this metal bridge across, uh, near Harper's Ferry. And there's just like the rain is coming down. Like we're in the middle of a monsoon and there's lightning and everything like that. And it's, it's really kind of a fun trailer if you get to chance to check it out. I mean, it's uh, in the film as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Do you, so when you're running, you're, when you're doing these races, when you're training, do you like listening to music or do you not? Do you find that's a distraction? Yeah. So everything I do is simulating the environment of the race typically. And so uh, I do, I really like listening to music, especially like I never take any painkillers whatsoever. Uh, I mean, if I had to have like a surgery or something, I, I would, but uh, I never take any painkillers. And so uh, for ultras, if I'm feeling really discomfort, also I can listen to music because it just kind of enables me to put my mind somewhere else to dissociate myself from that discomfort in it and it goes away. So uh, it's kind of wild how you can do that. But I also listen to music, just get inspired and like, the, you know, also just keep yourself you know, motivated, um, for the Barkley race, uh, it's not really a good idea to have music. I don't think we, I'm not sure we can have music out there, but you you can't have the music out there. I don't think. So I'm trying to, to train now without using much music at all, just because of that, just be out there in the element, be in the woods, in the dark, nobody there. And just the sound of like nature. That's it. Just to prepare. Yeah. Um, is that, are you finding it hard to run now without your music or whatever? Is it a bit of a transition? Yeah. I mean, it, it is a little, everything about Barkley is very difficult. <laughs> so I will say that, but I'll only say it now. Once I get like closer, a couple months away, I, I don't say anything like that. I won't acknowledge it. But it's it's very difficult. Like, um, and also it makes me a little nervous. So I, I get a little. I've got a little bit of uh, anticipation, little 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 fear 
anxiety. Um, but that's a good thing because it sharpens like our, our willpower to, to prepare. And it also makes me like take it seriously. So I, I like the fact I don't, I don't usually get nervous about races. Like, I mean, even if there's a lot on the line, it's like a world championship race. I don't usually get that nervous or, or for, for bad water now. Um, but like Barkley makes me a little nervous, which is good. Like it's good to find things that make you nervous still, because it, it, it I find that it also is motivating me like crazy to train because I I'm, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> get out there. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for you for Barclays. That's going to be uh, quite an event. And as you said, that's March. It's in the, the winter time. I mean, spring, winter, somewhere okay. around there, March, April. Oh, <laughs> it's, a, it's around that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's in that vicinity, March, they, April. They don't have the date nailed down yet. <laughs> well, they do. We just can't say. Exactly. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I got you. I got you. Yeah. It's all part of the whole mystique behind the race. <laughs> okay. All right. I got it. I got it. Part of the magic. Um, so I was right before I um, I joined you today. Um, somebody that I work with, when they found out I was interviewing you today, she said, "Will you ask Harvey after he does a race and he puts it all out there? Like, what does he leave behind? Does he does, does he leave something behind, uh, or do you feel like you're gaining something because?" It, it, to me, and, and obviously to her, it's like when you go that hard, like go for the Appalachian Trail, do the you know the the bad uh, the bad water, the the Gobi. Are you like somehow like whittling away at your 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 lifeblood, or or no, you don't look at it like that at all? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, it's uh I never feel like I'm I'm leaving something behind really. Uh I feel like it's uh I treasure experiences hmm. uh more and and relationships. And uh you know the those events they uh, are incredible experiences that I'll remember forever, I hope. Uh and also like it 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 adds like winning bigs was just such a, uh, incredible experience because it was so it's almost it's very improbable. Like, I mean, it, in both bigs and bad water this year, I mean, I just felt so elated. Like, I mean, it just, it, it it's, I'm still feel the, the fire from it. Like, I mean, I still feel that excitement. Uh, so it, 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 it inspires me for, you know, everything is possible. So, I mean, I understand that I am like at 45, you know, most people would say, well, Harvey, you, you probably just about overdone it now, <laughs> but, but uh, I kind of feel like I may be given some hell, like in the, in the backyard ultra for a long time to come. That's so awesome. I hope to be like that guy is out there at 60. That's like, why yeah. is that guy? Why is he just stopped? <laughs> well, that's really doing us as he was a hard time at, at, at 60 and he should just quit. <laughs> I find it, I find it fascinating that you've been doing it 25 years and you're still going stronger than ever because, you know, there's that saying, you know, the light that burns twice as bright burns half as long. And, you know, I, I know, you know, some people that have done ultra tries, they've done, you know, they specialize in the Ironman distance triathlon. 
And typically you've got a shelf life of, you know, maybe five to 10 years where you can really perform. And then the body typically gives out, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to me how long you've been going. And then I also remember, I think it was reading uh, the book by Christopher McDougall. Um, oh, yeah. I love that book. Uh, what was it called? Can you remember? Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, I love his book too. Born to Run. Import, yeah, that's right. Born to Run. But where he talked about, you know, the Leadville, they brought those uh, Tar Tarahumara Indians in that one year, a 55-year-old Indian, you know, won yeah. that 100-mile race. So to me, uh, you know, there are some definite anomalies out there. And, you know, I, I just, I love what you're doing. I love, Thank I love, you. I love Thank your, you so much. I love your longevity. I love Thank your you so much stronger, it, your positivity. It is awesome. I, I, I hear like what you're saying and actually it's something I, I take seriously. So, you know, I, I, I really like focus in on things that will like heal my body, you know? So I, I definitely focus in on the nutrition I visit uh, Mr. Miyagi with, with the ART and I also value like sleep and listening to my body. So if I feel like something, I, I ease up. Um, and I have amazing role models. Like I, I, well, my, my buddy's in Cincinnati. He's 99.8 years young. So, I mean, he, he is uh, all plant-based, Mike Fremont, and he is, still runs five miles three times a week. And he's he gets out at, at 99.8 and then he kayaks the other two or three days a week and he can do more pull-ups than I can do. He can do 16 pull-ups. So, I mean, like, I'm like, geez. And then there's Marco Omo, who I was on a team with in the Marathon de Sable. That's actually yeah, a documentary uh, called Desert Around Me for that um, with the five-member team. But he actually won the UTMB at the age of 57. And he's all plant-based as well. Wow. So, uh, famous Italian runner, Marco Omo, uh, he finished, uh, like number 16 in the marathon, the Sables at age 67. I mean, that's incredible. So, I mean, he's still going strong. So I do have some really powerful role models. <laughs> they, they, they give me the, the, uh, idea that it's, it's possible to continue, uh, going for a long time. Oh. And uh, then the, the technique, the, like I said, the shoes, uh, the technique I have, like for the good form, that really has an impact. Uh, but I hear what you're saying. There, there is some limitations. I don't plan to do a backyard ultra every month. I think that would be a little over the top. You know, well, I love your role models and this 99.8 year old guy that is running uh, three times a week and can do 16 pull-ups. Is that at once? 16 at once? In one time. Yeah, you can do it one time. I, actually, I'd love to have him on. <laughs> so You'll have to hook me up with him. I will. I oh will. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. I can remember when Dave Scott at 42 got second at the Hawaii Ironman Triathlon. Mm. Uh, and, you know, it was like, oh, my God, this guy's a grandfather, you know, grandfather. And right. you know, he's practically winning the Hawaii Ironman. And, you know, and look at you, you're 44, 45, and you're, you're doing insane things. It's just spectacular. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's got to be pretty amazing. Like, uh, how many, how many Ironman did you do? 
Oh, that was Ironmans weren't my, they weren't my thing. My thing was no. the international 1.5 K swim, 40 K bike, 10 K run. It was like, you know, I usually did those in like an hour 50. Uh, wow. that, was, that was my specialty. So but, fast. But so I did, I did in my career and I had a career that spanned about uh, a good, almost 20 years. I only did two Ironmans. They both were in Hawaii and they both obliterated me. Wow. They obliterated well, it was beautiful terrain. At yes, least. It was. yes. Yeah. yeah, it was. It's, it's very, uh, very majestic and, and magical. Yeah. And it's this fierce, fierce beauty out mm. there with the, the lava fields and everything like that. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, what have you eaten so far today? Like what, what's your typical breakfast? Well, uh, honestly, I had uh, granola uh, today and uh, almond milk uh, with uh, dark cherries, uh, frozen dark cherries I throw in. Uh, usually I have that or power O's with almond milk and chia seeds and blueberries. I love blueberries. I actually got like two giant containers yeah. at Costco last night of blueberries. I'll probably eat them in about two days. Uh, but uh, also, uh, I... I went I get, last night. I got uh, just at Whole Foods. There's like a, a deli. So on the weekdays, I do a lot of buying food out. On the weekends, Kelly makes food, and I I love to eat her food. So it's amazing. Um, but yeah, so I had uh, just some mixture of vegetables, and it was like a vegan meatball from from uh, Whole Foods with green beans and, and capers and olives and. It was really actually very delicious. Uh, and last night I had uh, bur burritos from uh, Cordoba. Uh, so I had like um, rice and black beans. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so that, that's kind of a typical day for me. Uh, I, I, I eat a lot of snacks too. So I love to eat. So I'll probably eat like four meals. You know, I get home and I'll eat like munch on like some uh, hummus and and uh, some some healthy type of like uh, flaxseed chips or something like that, and uh, yeah, it, I I eat a a, a lot of food uh, variety. Yeah. I don't usually drink a lot of protein shakes, um, you know. So the only supplement I have is like vitamin B twelve. That's it. Yeah, well, that's I. Um... I think that's great. I think way too many people spend way too much money on a lot of supplementation, on a lot of, you know, protein powders and shakes and stuff like that. And to me, the the best way to optimize your nutrition is with whole foods, right? Yeah. You're definitely. getting all of the benefit, all the fiber, all the phytonutrients, antioxidants, the carbs, the fats, the protein, and the perfect balance that nature intended as opposed to some isolated form that's been stripped of everything. And right. So anyway, I think that I'm really glad to hear that that you're that you're not doing a lot of that stuff. That's good to hear. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I know. You know, that's another thing that kind of excites me is that I know I can continuously grow. And like, even what I'm doing now, like Mike Fremont, uh, the, the fellow I was telling you about is 99.8. He's much more scientific about what he eats. Yeah. You know, I just kind of like eat everything. Um, but I know that I can still improve in that too. And that's kind of exciting. Like I love learning about new foods. There are certain things like I'll, I'll do now. Like I, I'll, I don't eat beets a lot, but I will actually drink like beet juice. 
a, yeah. a few days leading up to a big race I really care about. And I, it's funny, but like, uh, it's part of my tradition. And uh, there are certain foods like, t- or spice like turmeric. I know like that that's really good for anti-inflammation. You know, it's like, I love learning about like the, the types of foods that can impact you and uh, the benefits of them. So it's exciting to, yeah, it's part of the whole uh, picture and what's exciting is still be learning about these things. Yep, very much. And you're exactly right. The science with, you know, the beet juice, the science with the turmeric and being anti-inflammatory with the turmeric and with the, with the beet juice, as far as the nitrates that can allow the blood flow and dilation of the vessels to working muscles, all that stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's fascinating. Um, Hey, Harvey, uh, I'm going to let you go. There we go. All <laughs> Cause, right. Because <laughs> uh, otherwise I could talk to you forever. Because I, well, I appreciate it. It has been an honor to be like on this with you. And uh, yeah, I, I, I loved it. So thank you so much for, for sharing and, and letting me be a part of the show. And yeah. uh, it's been a blast chatting with you. I'd love yeah. to like, you know, connect more on some more adventures in the future. I'd love to. I, I actually, let's do this. After Barclays, I want to have you back on the podcast and we'll talk about how it went. Whether okay. whether you whether you're the 16th person to finish it or the or the first one to go out, which uh, the first one to go out was the sacrificial lamb. Yeah, but I want to. <laughs> Apparently, he has he has pegged me as a sacrificial lamb. <laughs> so we'll see if it comes true. Okay. Well, I can't wait to hear about it. And in the meantime, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you a little plant strong care package uh, to help. You know, we'll send you some cereals, granolas, pizza crust, some veggie, wow. uh, veggie broths. Uh, wow. You're making me hungry now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. So with that, um, man, all the best, my plant strong ultra distance brother. And uh, I can't wait to connect. I appreciate it so much. All right. Thank you. Peace engine two. Keep it plant strong. Harvey, the Energizer Bunny, thank you for taking the time after school and before your evening run to speak with me. You are putting out the energy that we all need so desperately right now. In fact, Ultra Runner Magazine just named Harvey Lewis one of the top five ultra runners of 2021, but you're definitely number one in my book. To learn more about Harvey and all of our Plan Strong resources, visit the show notes at planstrongpodcast.com. Thanks. The Plan Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.